got some really good news. You want some good news this morning? Jesus is still changing lives. Jesus' power and the power of the gospel is still bringing healing, is still bringing help, is still bringing hope to a dark world in the shadows, and he's releasing people. And people's lives are being changed, and your life is being changed, and my life is being changed on a regular basis because of the name of Jesus. Okay, when was the last time you shouted the name of Jesus? We just sang, shout Jesus from the mountain. Let's pretend we're on a mountain right now. All right? Where does healing come from? Jesus! Jesus. Where does hope come from? Jesus! Jesus. Where does our help come from? Jesus. Jesus! Who are you a child of? Jesus, amen. We're a child of God through the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, everything will happen that is good on this earth. And we get to be part of that. Okay, if you can, go ahead and have a seat. And listen, listen, listen. The message to us today, the message to us every day, but especially today that we're going to lean into is that God is looking for people like you and me, people that aren't special, people that are very broken, maybe have some very sordid, dark pasts, people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ to take the power of the gospel out into the world to bridge the gap, to bring salvation to people who are lost. Ezekiel 22:30 says, God says, I am looking for someone who will build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I will not have to destroy it. And I don't even want to read the next part of the verse. This was back in the day, and he was looking for someone. He says, but I'm not finding anybody. Well, what I'm hoping is that by the end of the day today, God's people will raise their hand and say, oh, oh, oh. Do you remember Horshack? Choose me, pick me, I'll be the guy, I'll be the girl, I'll be the one to stand in the gap for you, Lord, because the church has to rise up in a day like we have today before us. Micah 6, 8 says, he has shown you, O man of God, he has shown you, O woman of God, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. In other words, the Lord has already proclaimed, he has already told us and taught us how we are supposed to live in the darkness of this world. And it is to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I know you agree with me that if there was ever a time when there was a need for men and women of God to rise up and stand in the gap and to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before the Lord and before all of mankind it is now. I'm gonna use this quote that I've used before and you've heard it many times, that great quote of Henry Varley when he said to D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man, I included what God will do with a woman who is fully consecrated to him. We're in the middle of a series right now called Extraordinary. We're seeing in the lives of very ordinary people, people who are very broken, people who are very lost in this world, transformed, their lives being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 
and see how God can use them to do extraordinary things that they would never be able to do on their own, but because they've surrendered themselves to the Lord can do mighty things in his name. And we're supposed to be learning from these people so that we can see that God wants to use us in the same way. He has plans to use you in that very way. We have a problem. This world has a problem. And we know, because the Bible tells us, and we have been studying actually, that things are gonna get worse and worse, but guess what? Things are getting worse and worse. But I wanna say this to you, because though there is a problem on this side, over here there is hope. So the world has a massive problem, but there's hope for the world. And the hope for the world is you and me. Oh, I thought it was the gospel, Phil. Yes, it is. But how can they hear if there's no one telling them? And so the hope for the world is the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is you and me, my friends. And God is looking for you and calling you out and calling me out to be the hope of the world because the world is getting worse and worse and we've got a really massive problem on our hands. As of 2020, the estimated number of people in the United States who are churchless, they actually identify as churchless or they don't identify with a religious organization at all, stands at a staggering 175 million people. What that comes out to is 53% of our nation does not identify with a religious organization at all. I'm not talking about an evangelical religious organization. I'm talking about anything. That's a big problem for a nation under God. That's a problem for a nation whose very constitution and laws were built and based upon the 12, or the 12 commandments. There's 12 commandments. I just added two commandments. <laughs> The Ten Commandments. Man, back that one up, all right? I don't even know where I was now. But our nation was built upon the scriptures. The, it was built upon the laws of God, and we decided that would be a good idea to establish the laws of our nation upon the laws of God. And yet, over half of our nation doesn't even affiliate to put that in context, if all of those unchurched people, that 175 million people, were a separate nation unto themselves, it would be the eighth most populated country in the world, trailing only China, India, Indonesia, Brazil, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Oh yeah, we have a problem. The number of people in prisons and jails, just over drug offenses, how many people do you think that is? And how do you think, how much, how much worse is it getting in our day today? I have a statistic from 1980 that says that 41,000 individuals were in prison or in jails for drug addiction or for drug offenses. 2020, the number is 
1.2 million individuals are in jail. It's gone from 41,000 in 1980 to 1.2 million people in prisons and jails just for drug offense. Alcohol use is extremely widespread and particularly heartbreakingly in the lives of our teenagers. Half of our students have consumed alcohol by the end of high school and a third of them have done so by the eighth grade. Divorce is commonplace. We're approaching a million divorces a year right now in America. 68 of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new lover on the internet while they're married to their first partner. 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites, which has driven them to their unfaithfulness. There are over 750,000 teenage pregnancies a year. Now guess what? That's actually down. There's actually a decline, a decrease in teen pregnancies and teen abortions. And you might say, well, praise the Lord. And I would say praise the Lord for that. But the reality is the reason that that's happening is because of the increase of parents giving their children, giving their daughters contraceptives just in case you have a bad night. And we're getting smarter and smarter on how to take care of things before things actually happen. It doesn't mean that things are getting better and the kids are not having sex before marriage anymore. There are 1.2 million abortions a year just in our country. Can I rephrase that? Just in our country, just in our country, there are 1.2 million babies murdered a year. What's wrong with us? Each year, just sit and listen to that child. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I love that sound. That's new life right there. Everybody look and wave at that baby right there. That's an odd. <laughs> She's clapping. That's awesome. That is awesome. Each year, and what I hope you're seeing is that I'm going down deep into our children right now, and I'm doing it for a reason, and it'll become obvious in just a bit. Each year, approximately 19 million new sexually transmitted disease infections occur, and almost half of those are among our youth, ages 15 to 24. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. I couldn't find that current statistic. I almost reached out to you, Steve, and see if you knew what the new statistic was, but that statistic is in 2006. You think we've advanced in technology since 2006? You think it's more than that now? I think so. 64% of Christian men, Christian men, 64%, did you hear that? 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. 
One, one in five youth pastors and one in seven lead pastors use pornography on a regular basis and admit that they are currently struggling with it. That's, that's more than 50,000 church leaders are admitting that they are currently struggling with pornography. 75% of lead pastors do not make themselves accountable to anyone for their internet use. I will just tell you that your pastors are not in that group. Your pastors make themselves accountable. 51% of male and 32% of female students first view pornography before their teenage years. That means 12 and younger Nine out of 10 boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. 15% of boys and 9% of girls have seen child pornography. These are children. Thirty-two percent of boys and 18% of girls have seen bestiality online. 39% of boys and 23% of girls have seen sexual bondage online. 83% of boys and 57% of girls have seen group sex online. And 69% of boys and 55% of girls have seen same-sex intercourse online. God forgive us. And God help us. We're in trouble. Now, why are you doing this, Phil? I, here, I want you to hear Hosea 4, 6, because he is describing what will happen if a people turn their back on God. And Hosea says this. He reads, this is God speaking. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you. If you turn your back on God, God will turn his back on you. And because you have ignored the law of your God, don't miss this phrase here. I also will ignore who? You? Your children. The Bible is clear in Proverbs 13, 21. Blessings chase the righteous and curses chase the wicked. And what we're seeing in America today is the chasing of wickedness upon our children. We're seeing it come down the ranks. Oh, it's no big deal. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, except that whatever you want and the thing that you do that you want is affecting not just you, it's affecting your family for generations to come, and we're experiencing that, and we're reaping those fruits today in America. Jeremiah 2.19 says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. You will see and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. I, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. And I'll just say to you, my friends, it is a great wickedness to turn your back on God and his truth. There is a personal price that you will have to pay that will have an effect not just on you, but on your entire family tree. Look at Exodus 34, six. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. How many gods will God tolerate? Zero. I want to tolerate for any other gods. And I will not excuse the guilty. I will lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. I believe we're seeing this lived out in our world right now today. Now hear me. The Bible is clear. You can study it. Sons will not be judged for the sins of the father. So your children will not answer for your sins. But if you turn your back on God, if you turn your back on knowledge, if you walk the other way, if you go for other gods, anyone other than God, he says, I will visit your sins upon your children and their children to the third and fourth generation. Brothers and sisters, I believe we're seeing the third and fourth generation of this depravity happening in our world and in our nation right now because our nation has turned its back on God. Not just the people of God have turned their back on God, but the whole of people, the nation itself, has turned its back on God, and we're reaping the benefits in our children to the third and fourth generation, and that's why we have the statistics that we have today. How many of you, how many of you, gray hairs, I'm okay to say that, because Robin keeps telling me, Phil, you're looking older and older all the time. I said, that's what happens when you pastor a church, Right? How many of you gray hairs in the room or visiting online with us and listening can remember the days, the glory days? How many of you can remember when first, when statistics first started coming out and we started hearing about the downward spiral, the downward trajectory of the nation itself, but of the people of our nation? How many of you remember those days? And now I read these things and it's like, yeah, 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 we can see it, we can see it, we can see it. God help us. Edmund Burke is famous for saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Please forgive me for being so blunt today. But the reality is, the only thing necessary for, tri for the triumph of evil is for the church of Jesus Christ to do nothing. Right about now, all of you are saying, can you bring that Terry guy back? Because he like encouraged us last week. And I know. But I want to inspire you on the backside of that bad news and I want you to hear me if there was ever a time for God's people, God's men and women to stand up and stand in the gap and stand for righteousness, it's today, it's now. We need it more than ever. We can't mess around anymore. We, there's, there's too much at stake for the lives of our children for generations to come. Generational destruction is before us we're seeing it happen before our very eyes. The darkness is taking over the world. And you're like, well, I thought it was supposed to, Phil. Haven't you been telling us it's going to happen at the end? Yes, it is. And it's gonna really take off when we leave this earth, when we're raptured home, and the Holy Spirit is removed from this planet. But right now, right now, 
There's victory in Jesus. Right now, there's power in the gospel. Right now, the invitation is still, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. The gospel is real, and the gospel is still saving lives today, and we can take it to the people. As long as we're here, there's hope for the world. They're gonna still keep going down and down, but what we're supposed to do is like become roadblocks and say, stop, stop. And every single one of us, every single one of us, every single one of us, I'm gonna come back here because I don't want you people that sit near the back think he can't see me back here. (laughs) Every single one of us has a responsibility to hold back the tide of evil's effect on the world. And every single one of us, my friends, if we will do the work, can bear the load and shoulder the load, even though I may have so many people that I'm ready to die underneath the weight. I'm gonna get crushed underneath the weight. I can't help it. Then I need you, Larry, to come alongside of me and say, well, I got an extra hand here. Come on, I'll help you. And the Holy Spirit is gonna powerfully help us do the things that God is calling us to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does the Lord require of us? What is the Lord wanting from us? And I want to introduce you to three men who knew what it was and experienced how to stand against the darkness that came against God and his people. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. While you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. Do you know what it takes to get on the list that God would call the mighty men or the mighty women of God? What does God expect from those who would be able to hold that title, that I'm a mighty man or a mighty woman of God? That's what we're going to work on today. And these men that I'm going to introduce you to were the mighty men of David who turned into the mighty men of God. And David... You know, David is the one who was the little shepherd boy out in the field, taking care of his dad's flocks. And the Lord appears to Samuel, the prophet, and says, I want you to anoint a new king because King Saul was doing all bunch of wrong things and he was dishonoring the Lord. And God had rejected him as king and said, I want you to go and I want you to anoint David, this little shepherd boy out in the field, to be the next king. Now, it wouldn't happen right away. In the meantime, David gets recruited into King Saul's service, which is a really great story, to be his personal musician. He ends up going out and slaying a giant named Goliath. He gets put in charge of all the armies of Israel because of his faith in God and his strength as a warrior, and he becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. Now, because he's doing such a great job in all the intermediate things that he's doing, the women start singing his praises in the streets. And when they're coming home from war, the women start singing a song like this. Saul has slain his thousands. That's good. But David has slain his ten thousands. And that ticks Saul off. He gets jealous and tries to kill David. Now, there's a quality man right there. How do you like that guy for your king? I don't like you. I'm jealous because you're better than me. Solution, kill you. That's just awesome, isn't it? Okay, so David runs for the hills 
when he finds out that there's a price on his head and he finds while he's out in the wilderness running for his life and hiding, in hiding, he finds a band, the scripture says, a band of brothers that would soon become, according to the scriptures, David's mighty men. That's where we are in the story. Now, you're in 2 Samuel, so just hang there. I have 1 Samuel 22 to set the story up on the screen for you. And this is what the scripture says. And I want you to lean in, okay, when I'm reading this, I want you to lean in and you answer the question in your heart and mind, what makes a mighty man or a mighty woman of God? By their example. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So he goes into hiding, and all of a sudden, these men start showing up, 400 strong, they start showing up. These powerful, strong, amazing, mighty men of God, mighty men of valor, mighty men, mighty warriors, right? Read the scripture. Everyone who was in distress, <laughs> that means they were in trouble. Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of men I want around me when I'm, when I'm distressed, when I'm in trouble, when I'm out there running for my life. God, bring, that's my prayer. God, bring me 400 broken guys. That's not what I would be asking for. But I want, to, I want you to hear something, and this is a reality check for all of us. These guys, these mighty men, these guys are just normal people just like you and me. Normal, everyday kind of guys. And you might be like, well, wait a minute. Well, I would dare you, I would dare anybody to stand here, men or, man or woman, Stand in the presence of the congregation and raise your hand and proclaim with integrity. I'm not in trouble, I'm not in debt, and I am completely content with my life. I need to talk to you afterwards, Jack. I need to help you with who you really are in your spirit. See, what made these guys mighty was not how special they were. They weren't some elite, like highly trained warriors um, on leave for a while, and they happened to pick up with David for a while. And what made them mighty was the character that they developed and the loyalty that they developed while living with David in the wilderness. Their might and their reputations came because of the resolve they had to follow their leader, first of all, to fight for what was right, secondly, and to fight for the kingdom to come. You guys leave that on the screen for just a little bit because I want everybody to see this is what made them special. Their commitment to right, their commitment to doing what is right even when it was hard. And what I wanna do is take the time to Learn from them because there are three lessons that we can learn from these mighty men. Lesson number one, get involved 
even when the odds are against you. Get involved. This is what God wants from us. This is what makes mighty men of God who, are, who would say, I will do what's right. I will jump into the fray. I will stand for the Lord and stand in the gap even when the odds are against me. Look at Sam, 2 Samuel 23, 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, I just want to tell you, there were 400 people that came together with him, but he had the top three. And what we're going to learn about are the top three guys. So the first guy was Joshib Bashibeth Atakmanite. He was chief of the three. So he's the number one dude. This is the chief of the three. And he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Wow. Did you read that? Now don't get messed up on this is a Bible story so it's no big deal. He went against, by himself, eight hundred warriors quite the dude i mean the dude's attackmanite i have no idea what attackmanite but that sounds pretty awesome i'm attackmanite don't mess with me <laughs> joseph finds himself in a situation where he's facing impossible insurmountable odds they're impossible he's surrounded by 800 men and he's faced with a decision he has to make a decision right then do i run or do I fight? Possibility of victory? Zero. No hope. There's no hope. You might be like, well, come on. Come on. He's a man of faith. Okay, are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? Okay, if you're going up against 800 warriors by yourself, you're going to be like, bring them on. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But here's this dude that knows the right thing to do. And he's willing to stand and fight, even when the odds are stacked against him. So he engages. And he engages all 800 at the same time. Picture this. Can you see the scene? Because I don't think they just stood there in line. 800 guys standing there. They're warriors, okay? These are guys coming against the people of God. 800 warriors standing in a line waiting for their turn to go up against Joseph. I don't think that... Guys, any strategists in the room? Do you want to be there all day? You know how long it's gonna take 800 men when all you gotta do is say, hey, let's get five or six of us and just rush the dude. Tackle him, rush him, pounce him, we're done, let's go, it day's over. I don't know how it went, but picture the scene. Guys are coming, 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 coming. He takes up a spear, and he's going at, going at it, going at it, going at it. Now, if you know anything about cardio, and you know anything about your strength possibilities or limitations, if you know anything about your fatigue on your muscles, you can be good for two, three, four, maybe 10 guys and take them on. Only to find out you've got 790 more to go. Your body cannot take that. You will not survive. And yet this man goes for it. And somehow he takes on 800. I mean, can you just see like number 635? 
There's dudes dead everywhere. And 635 is going up against, and, there, and he turns and he says to the guys who are left, who is this guy? And where does he come from? And where does he get his strength? What's the answer? Oh, he's just a troubled, broke malcontent hanging out with David in the wilderness. He's a nobody who somehow is doing extraordinary things. Does that excite you at all? Three people, three people raise their voice to say, yes, because remember I said earlier, he's just like you and me. There's nothing special about him. What's special is what happened in him and what God was doing through him. There is no physical, possible, emotional, there's no, no human way that this man can take on 800 fresh warriors. And I wanna tell you, my friends, there is no human way that any of you, any of us in the room, can take on the army, can take on the darkness, can take on the spiritual forces battling against the church of Jesus Christ without something special in us happening, without the Lord getting involved and God's strength taking over because the battle didn't belong to Joseph, the battle belonged to the Lord. And that's what the Bible tells us. And the Lord brought a great victory for him. You ever been in a situation like this where like you knew that if you did what was right, you'd be risking everything. You'd be risking your happiness, you'd be risking your comfort, you'd be risking your livelihood. Maybe, like Joseph, you'd be, listing, you'd be risking your own life. But jumping in, even when the odds are against you, I hate to use this because it's so corny, is what turns zeros into heroes. It's what turns normal, everyday, broken people like us into Bible stories that people can read your life and see the mighty power of God at work through you against the forces of evil that are coming against God's people. It's the business owner who stands with integrity and says, no, I, I won't compromise my values in order to make some extra money. I won't do it. It's the employee who sees what's going on behind the scenes and under the table and says, no, I refuse to be part of that. I will not do it. I will stand for what is right. Bring it on. Bring whatever you want to do to me, but I will not do what is wrong. I will not compromise. It's the teenager who refuses to go with the flow of the group because of peer pressure, because they know that where that group is headed goes against everything that they have known or have been taught by their parents their entire lives, and they say, no, I will not do it. They stand their ground. They don't give in. Write this down. Practical application number one, no retreat. No retreat. 
when you're coming up against insurmountable odds, when you're coming against everything that's coming against you and coming against God's people, God's people in the confidence of the Holy Spirit of God and the strength of the Lord stand and fight with no retreat. Yoshib stood his ground in the face of the darkness until the deed was done, until he wiped out all 800 in the power and strength of the Lord. It was his integrity and his sense of right and wrong, not the strength of his arm, not the strength of his resolve. It was his character to do what was right for his leader and for the future kingdom where God honored and stepped in and helped him and drove him to victory against those 800 men. So the lesson for us is a mighty man or woman of God will do what's right even when the odds are against them with no retreat. I just finished point one. <laughs> and according to my clock down here, I have 11 minutes left. You want to go for it? Or you want me to just... <laughs> Good. I was hoping you'd say that. Here we go. Lesson, no retreat. No retreat. All right, here we go. Lesson number two. Lesson number two. Don't give up even when no one stands with you. Don't give up even if no one stands with you. 2 Samuel 23, 9. Here's the next guy. And next to him was among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but hey, Eliezer, son of Dodo, son of Ohohi. That's just weird. He was with David when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And if you notice, they were defiling the Philistines. I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose, this is Eliezer, rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after only to strip the slain. Okay, just, just help me. What kind of men were the mighty men? Come on, name it. Three things, three characteristics. What kind of men were the mighty men? They were... In trouble, they were in debt, and they were discontented, okay? Those are the kind of men they were. They weren't military-trained special forces, and yet here they are with David defiling the warriors of the Philistines. So these guys aren't trained warriors, but they're standing with David, and the Philistines, the enemy of the Lord's people, are coming against them, and they're standing with David defiling the Philistines, until what? Now, defiling means they're taunting them. That's what defiling means. So they're taunting the Philistines, and then something shifted. I imagine it was the Philistines said, okay, and called their bluff and started the advance, and when they started the advance, the men of Israel withdrew. There's some great guys right there. But these are the mighty men. These are the mighty men that sometimes we get afraid in the face of the enemy, even though we're out there going, come on, come on, like with us right now. We're in church right now. It's really easy to say, yeah, let's go after them. Come on, Larry, let's take on the darkness until we get out in the darkness. And the darkness advances and we go, ah, and we withdraw. Hear the message. You can't withdraw. What's our point? 
Don't give up, even if no one stands with you. All the men retreated, except who? Eliezer and David. David looks over and he realizes that he's not alone. That's, that's a really good day for a leader, I can tell you. Eliezer was there, one of the mighty men. All the other men retreated, but he looks over and he goes, well, at least I'm not alone. <laughs> we got ourselves into this. We taunted the enemy and here they come. Let's go, Eliezer. This is an issue of loyalty to his leader Actually, an unusual display of loyalty. He was willing to die with his leader and commander because it was the entire army. No two guys in their right mind look at the army and say, we can do this. But how many of us are willing to go anyway, even if no one is standing with us because it's the right thing to do? That's the lesson here. In fact, it's not the strength that they had even though we're stronger together, we believe that, we're stronger together. In fact, two people are more than double stronger than one person by themselves. You can do more with two people, even more than just two people by themselves and their strength when you combine. So it, but it wasn't the strength that they were working together that gave them the victory. Because if you notice in verse 10, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. That day. Battles are hard. Their victory didn't come easy. They had to fight long and hard. And so he takes his sword, Eliezer does, and he stands against the Philistines and against the enemies of the Lord with David by his side, and they fight, they fight, and they fight until the fight is over. Now, sometimes we know that in the scripture, God fights for his people. How awesome is that? Sometimes God steps in and you don't have to do a thing. How many times have you been in a spot where the Lord came and swept in victoriously and took care of the situation for you and you're like, I didn't have to do a thing. The Lord came in in his might and in his strength and in his love and he did it for me. But in my life, I haven't found that to be the normal. The normal is I gotta pick up my sword. I gotta go to battle. And I've got to fight in the strength of the Lord for the things of God. Sometimes the Lord fights for his people like all they had to do was watch. Like when, Dave, when Moses waved his staff or and Joshua took the people of Israel and they just walked around the city of Jericho. Remember, they just walked around the city. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to do anything. There was a great victory. The walls came in, crushed everybody. Or Gideon and his 300 where all they had to do was blow their trumpets and smash their clay pots and God confused the, the armies against the Lord and won a great victory and God wiped out the enemy. You know, there's coming a day, we talked about this weeks ago, where there's gonna be a war against Israel called the Ezekiel 38 War. It's prophetic, it's going to happen, where Gog and Magog are going to realize, hey, Israel's defenseless and they think they're living in safety, let's go down, they're gonna have a, they're gonna, they're gonna get a coalition of nations together and they're gonna, let's go down and let's destroy Israel right now. 
And many believe, I believe, that we're really close to that because Gog and Magog are Russia, Iran, and Turkey who are going to come together and they're going to become allies in, in this, in this um, campaign against Israel and then they're gonna get a bunch of other smaller nations to go with them. And I believe that we're in a time that's very close to that because that is gonna happen before the end of all things starts happening with the tribulation. And I believe we're at a very pivotal time because we have such weak leadership in America and we have such leadership that are not favorable towards Israel and willing to stand for Israel. And I think that those three nations are looking at it and saying, now is the opportune time. Guess what? Wanna hear something? Putin, president of Russia, is meeting with the president of Turkey and the president of Iran this week. They're coming together to have a summit. Does that mean anything to you? What do they have in common with each other? Except that they hate Israel. <laughs> we could be, this excites me so much, scares me to death, but excites me all at the same time. We could be living and watching when our great God fights for his people and his people Israel don't have to lift a finger. Because what's gonna happen is they're gonna embolden themselves and they're gonna come down against Israel and they're gonna try and smash Israel and God's gonna wipe them out in the hill country. You want me to read to you what God's gonna do? Can I read it for you? It's Ezekiel 38, 18. Listen to this. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth, and I will summon the sword against you on the hills of Israel, saying the sovereign Lord, this is what says the sovereign Lord, your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And why I tell you, my friends, when in our history, would there ever be a way that the world will be able to see and the world will know that God is working for his people Israel and winning the battle for them and they don't have to lift a finger except the day that we live in today. And you and I, if this happens soon here, you and I will experience it firsthand. We will see it on our televisions and we will see the mighty work of God Almighty destroying the enemies of his people. How awesome is that? That's just... That just cranks me up, you guys. I am so excited because this is our God. This is the God we've been learning from. This is the God of the Bible. He's just as real today as he ever was. But sometimes he doesn't go and fight for us without us having to lift a finger. Like in this case, sometimes we gotta pick up the sword and fight for the Lord. 
And the Bible says, the story says, that they fought for so long and they were so exhausted that his hand, Eliezer's hand, froze to the sword as they were going person after person, two guys going against the entire army of the Philistines. Listen, your hand cannot do that on its own. It's not like he got rigor mortis and it locked onto the sword. That is not what happened. I believe God supernaturally froze his hand to the sword. He couldn't hold on to it anymore. But he didn't have to because the Lord, don't you know, my friends, that if you put your hand in the hand of the Lord, you can do anything that he wants you to do. Because you are in his hand, and he will use you, and he will give you strength, and he will help you fight whatever this battle is that you're going up against. He will help you. The Lord will bring about a great victory on your behalf as you fight for him. Don't miss that. That is so important. Write this down. Practical application number two. No reserve. God loves it when we give him our all. He loves it when we hold nothing back. Christ is the one who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The scripture tells us that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, giving up everything that we have, that our lives are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, and that there are great rewards for those who persevere in faith. Lesson number three, and I'm gonna wrap it here. Ready? Stand in the gap for those who are fearful. Stand in the gap for those who are fearful. Verse 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel 23. Next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi where there was a plot of ground full of lentils and the men fled from the Philistines. But Shema took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. Here's what I want to know, okay? This is number three. This is great, you know, the top three guys. This is number three. Where were Yosheb and Eliezer? Where were they? Come on, what does the scripture tell you? What were they doing right here? They were running. They were running. All the men fled from the Philistines but Shema. Hmm. Are we gonna be judgmental of them? No, and here's why. All of us run from time to time. All of us let fear conquer us from time to time. So whenever I'm strong yesterday, but I'm not today, what needs to happen? Shema needs to show up. Well, Phil doesn't have the courage today. I'll step in. I'll take on the Philistines. I'll step in because Phil's having some trouble today. We need to have that in the body of Christ. God uses different people to do mighty things at different times and in different places and in different crazy ways to accomplish his will. And so here we go again. The Israelites are facing off against their enemy, the Philistines, and the men of Israel run away except for one guy. David isn't even there. And he stands his ground. And here's what I know. Out of honor for his king, out of future king, out of honor for what is right, 
and out of honor for the future kingdom, Shema took his stand and defended what belonged to the Lord. And verse 12, the Lord worked a great victory. Practical application number three, no regret. No regret. Anytime a man or woman of God takes a stand to defend that which is the Lord's, there will be no regret. So what does it take to live a life of no regret? It's getting involved. It's serving others. It's sacrificing yourself. It's serving everyone and everything. I just want to say thank you to those of you who are helping at Faith Mission right now. Got the tiny house thing going on. I misspoke. I told you last week that the goal was to put up two tiny houses in two weeks. They just decided to do six tiny houses in two weeks. And you, <laughs> yeah. And um, many of you have shown up to help, and we could still use some more help this week um, because they're going to finish them this week. They even ran out of material. But this is what it's about. It's, 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 it's sacrificing your time, sacrificing your, your um, giving of yourself to meet the needs of those who can't help themselves. That's what makes heroes out of zeros. It means getting dirty in our dark world in order to make it shine with the gospel. It's stopping to help someone broken down on the side of the road in an opportunity that maybe you can share Jesus with them. Or taking care of the widow down the street or seeing the boy or little girl next door who lives without a father and saying to yourself, I'm not gonna let them down. This is the stuff of heroes. Their commitment to their leader, to the cause and the future made these men fearless, willing to stand their ground, sword in hand, in the face of the enemy, in the midst of the darkness, to fight for their king and his kingdom, to fight for their families, to fight for the helpless. You know, a thousand years from this story, after this story, and David and these men are dead, Jesus appeared on the scene. And Jesus called 12 men to follow him, distressed, indebted and discontent. Just normal, everyday people. But when they met Jesus, he changed their lives. He turned everything around. He changed everything, because that's what Jesus does. And he empowered them. They followed him, and while they were following him for three years, they saw him live a life of no retreat, live a life of no reserve, and live a life of no regret. They watched him sacrificially give of himself to meet the needs of the world. And they watched him die on the cross for their sins and the sins of everyone else. And then they, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, went out and turned the world upside down and gave their lives for it. Jesus is doing the same thing today. He's calling to his side every distressed, every indebted, malcontent, like you and me, to give their lives, give our lives completely to him, live and die for him and what is right and for his kingdom. And it may sound arrogant to the ears of those who do not believe, but the only hope the world has is you and me. God's people who have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles 16, nine says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. If ever there was a time 
and there needed to be men and women of God to rise up, it is now. This excites me and frightens me all at the same time. But I love the fact that I get to do it with you. Listen, the Bible is clear. Blessings chase the righteous and curses chase the wicked. And in Proverbs 3.3, the scripture says that God blesses the homes of the righteous. And Proverbs 11.11 says that through the blessing of the upright, through God blessing his people, the entire city is exalted. So I want to encourage you, church, rise. Rise, men and women of God. Come on. Rise, men and women of God, because the blessing of the Lord is upon you. Let's resolve to go out and to live a lives of no retreat, no reserve, and no regret. Come on, church. Your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations. Your family and your children.